Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network, where we continue to try to bring you conversations and share experiences from experts in the world of sports, players, coaches, broadcasters, executives, you name it. Uh, we try to bring you, as mentioned, some, some learning nuggets. Today we've got a fantastic guest, someone who I got a chance to, to get to know about eight years ago when I had a one-year stint as a coach in the NBA, as a player development coach with the Portland Trailblazers. He was covering the team at the time as a beat writer, now has come on the scene in a national way, one of the best NBA insiders out there, none other than my friend, Chris Haynes. Chris, how is life? You know what, Dan? First of all, man, it's good to, to, good to, good to talk with you, man. It's, it's been a long time, man, but you've always been somebody who I respected, you know, and admired. I got to know a little bit more about you, you know, when I covered you for that season in Portland. So, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, second of all, how's life? Look, I, I, I started covering the league in 2010. And so this is the first time in 10 years where I've been home for an extended period of time. And, uh, I've gotten to know my family a little bit more, a little, a little bit better. And I think, you know, as, as it looks like we're approaching a time where the season is going to get restarted and I, I have to head back to Orlando. I think I can safely say my family here, they're looking forward to me getting out and getting, getting to Orlando. <laughs> We've we, we, we reached that point in our relationship here in my family at home. Uh, that, that is, that is a, a funny little bit there, that's for sure. I know one of the things that most people don't understand about high-level professional or college sports is just the grind that it takes travel and just constantly being on the go and the, the, the unwavering support that you have to have at home because somebody like yourself is always gone. So it, it's great to know that you've reconnected, but it's also great to know that they're supportive of you getting back out and doing <laughs> your job and covering your passion, and that's NBA basketball. <laughs> they're very supportive, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you kind of beat me to the punch. One of the questions that I did have for you today was, will you be going back to Orlando? It sounds like you will be. Um, do you have any hesitancy with that? And what is the latest that you're hearing in regards uh, to the NBA getting back going? Because I know just, I think it was last night or this morning, uh, Washington Wizards Forrest Davis Bertan said he was not going to go back for his own personal reasons. Um, what are some of the unique storylines that, that you're looking at keeping an eye on as things pick up? Well, you know, players have until the deadline of June 24th uh, to declare if they're going to participate in the restart or not. And so I expect a few names. I, I don't expect a lot, to be honest with you, Dan. Um, I think if there are players who choose not to play, I think there, it will be these situations where injuries – all of a sudden come up uh, those nagging injuries that players have been playing with for the last two, three, five years. Well, it, it seemed like this is the right time to get, get have that surgery you, you've been putting off, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that way, like, so somebody 
as Bertans, as you mentioned, he's not going to get paid, period. He's not getting paid for missing those games. But a guy who's injured and cannot perform, they will still continue to be played. So that's a loophole for some players to partake in. Um, you know, like I said, taking care of that nagging injury, you know, getting that little minor procedure that you've been holding off for so long, that way you can still get paid because you're on the injury list. But, you know, I expect maybe a, a few of those situations to pop up. As far as myself, um, yeah, it, you know, I'll be lying if I say I wasn't concerned a little bit, you know, for my safety going, going out there. I think, um, you know, I just hope that the same safety precautionary measure that's going to be placed on the NBA players, I hope, that's going to be the same for the, the media that's going to be in the bubble. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm concerned a little bit, but, you know, I, it's an unprecedented situation. Um, and uh, I, I just – I feel like I, I have to be there to cover that event, but, you know, who knows. Yeah. Well, you're right in the fact that it is a – in a once in a – hopefully once in a couple generation type of event – uh, as far as the pandemic and having to kind of work through business, figuring things out, sports leagues, figuring things out, family society, figuring things out. Um, yeah. When you've had a chance to see some of the kind of issues that have arisen from the pandemic and then some of the uh, things that have gone on socially over the last about three weeks or so, um, you're somebody that who's in the inner circle in the NBA and the NBA has always been at the forefront of social issues as a black man. How, how much pride have you seen in people uh, just being a person of, of great value of great equality, sharing their examples been, because there's been a number of guys that have, have said some really positive and powerful messages. This pandemic, you know, we, you know, in the aftermath of the George Flood um, tragedy in Minnesota and, and and even the numbers after that when it comes to, um, you know, police brutality, the uh, killing of unarmed African-Americans, uh, the pandemic has kind of forced the country to take note, to take notice. I think everybody, it was just, it all hit, you know, it all hit ahead when you look at everybody was frustrated with being stuck home um lives were lost family members were lost jobs were lost people don't, not knowing how they're going to take care of rent and so you have all this frustration built due to this pandemic and then on top of that now you see this george flood tragedy happen and i think you add all add all add all those recipes together and that's what we've had this outpouring of just Unity that I haven't seen in my lifetime before then. I went to, I'm in the Bay Area. I went to a march here in Fremont a couple weeks ago, and it was majority white people there and for a Black Lives Matter march. And I was just blown away then. Like, I was blown away. Um, and then you see what it has done in our, in, um, in, the, in, our, in our sports leagues the players speaking out, the players participating, the players getting out there in the front lines and marching and protesting. Um, like I said, this is a very unique set of circumstances, man. And I and I want to say, man, it's not I want to say, things have changed for the better. We've seen immediate 
changes to legislation, to uh, police um, protocol and how they apprehend uh, suspects. Uh, we've seen um, statues come down. You know, we've we just seen all types of things. And um, it's unfortunate that it took a, a incident or a few more of these incidents to happen because these incidents have been happening for years and years. And I think um, the saving grace to our culture has been camera phones, you know, being able to videotape these, these situations. So it's been, it's been a lot going on, you know, Dan. You know, the pan pandemic was definitely the, the major, major one hurdle that everybody has been trying to climb over and try to figure out just frustration, lives lost, job, income being affected. And then you see this tragedy happen. And I think that was just the tipping point right there. And everybody was like, enough is enough. We got to do something. Now. But it's truly beautiful to see because, I, like I said, I've never seen in my lifetime people from all walks of life, all different shades, just with one common goal. And that's to unify everybody and that's to have justice for all. And, you know, it's been a proud moment to witness. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about sports is that it can bring people together from different backgrounds, different religions, different races, sure. and put you on the same team and on the same court working for a common goal. And I think that's where, obviously, you and I being in the world of basketball got to know each other, like I said, a few years back. But I'm always interested in somebody like you. Um, How would you get your shot as an NBA journalist? That's a good question, man. I, I want to try to condense it as much as possible because uh, I don't know how much time you got. But, you know, look, I um, I grew up on the west side of Fresno, Fresno, California. And um, the west side is predominantly black, like Hispanic population, a few Asians. Not many white people. Like, I didn't really see white people until I got, got to college, really. Um, and so growing up where I grew up, you know, you know, games, drugs, like the most of the people I looked up to, the older people, you know, were in gangs, uh, end up getting killed or in jail. And so at an early age, my mindset was then like, I felt like I made it if I had my own apartment, a car, and just a little nine to five. That's it. You know, nine to five, you know, Minimal, it could be minimum wage, but I'm, I'm a full-time employee. I got my own apartment, and I got a car. I'm straight. Like, I made it. I feel like I beat the odds. And so I had that mindset, damn, like, for a long time, man, until I was early 20s, man. Early 20s. It took my wife. Like, it's funny. My wife grew up in worse situations than me. I, I had both parents in my life. You know, she only had her mother, and um, she grew up just – Drugs were around me. The atmosphere was around me. Like my outside family, they were involved in that stuff. And I would see it because I'm over their house spending the night. But it wasn't directly in my house. It was like that for my wife. It was directly in her house. But she always had a vision, Dan, that she should be living greater than this. Like she always had a vision like there's more out here. And I tell people this all the time. Like, if you grow up in certain areas, like, that's all you know. Like, I never wanted to leave Fresno. I never wanted to leave. Like, even when I was in Fresno, I never really left the west side. You know what I'm saying? Like, I stayed in my environment. That's all I knew. Like, I would watch the, the Cosby shows back in the day, the 80s. 
And it was a it was a show about a black family, all of them educated. Uh, the parents went to college. Their their parents went to college. They went to the same college, and then their kids were going to college. I'm like, who the hell lives like that? Like, I don't know any black family who lives like that. So it was fake to me. Like, I didn't like it. It wasn't reality, or unless it was, it wasn't my reality. Long story short, I made the decision to go back to college when I was about after I got done playing college ball, probably around 24, because I never finished my bachelor's. So I went to Fresno State. 25, maybe 25, went to Fresno State, graduated, and my degree was going to be um, kinesiology because that's the degree you need to be a PE teacher. And you, there, you, I, I'm pretty sure you, you, you can relate to this. You know, when you're growing up, high school, all the PE teachers did was come out, give you a ball, let you go play for 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. That was it. That was it. <laughs> and then they would be the coaches too, then, like they would coach. So I'm like, that is an easy job to do. Like it may be basketball for two weeks, then we transition to soccer for two weeks, but the PE teachers didn't do much. And I'm not trying to disrespect PE teachers. I know there's a lot of them that do a lot of rigorous things, but the PE teachers I grew up watching, that's all they did. So that's what I wanted to do. I'm like, okay, I could be in sports, I could be a PE teacher, I can coach. And so, but the last year, Dan, the last year at Fresno State, my last semester, I took an African-American writing course. And I've never, you know, I couldn't write. I couldn't write. You know how you see people, they don't know how to write the, the different theirs, like T-H-E-I-R, T-H-E, you know, Y-E-R, and all that stuff. I didn't know any of that, any of that. So my writing was hard, probably elementary level. I took that class, and I realized, man, I, I like writing. Like, I like writing. And it got, it got better. And so then I was, like, thinking, man, I wonder if this could translate into sports. And so I started writing stories and watching the games, watching games on TV, writing stories. Long story short, I started sending a, um, writing samples to a different uh, sports publications. And most of them said, you know, you got some talent, we got to work with you on some things. But if you move to an NBA market, we can't pay you. This was Slam Magazine. We can't pay you, but uh, we'll get you credentialed where you can improve your writing and, you know, get some experience. So, man, I moved to Portland. I figured, got my wife and everybody to agree, moved to Portland. Uh, Portland is a 13-hour drive. I wanted to get out of California because I've always been there my whole life. So I wanted to get somewhere that was far, but not too far enough. So if we felt like this was too much, we, you know, it would be a pretty easy transition to get back. So I, I covered the Blazers for a year for free. Slam Magazine, it was just, you know, covering home games, you know. But, Dan, in that year's time, Dan, you might have – nah, I'll just say, you might have even caught me during that year working free. But I think it was the second year that when you were there. That was the first year I got paid. But first year I worked for free, man, just worked for free, covering games. But I I was – I started breaking stories, getting, you know, getting exclusive interviews and – uh, you know, my name was popping up around Portland. Chris, you know, got such and such to say something, doing radio interviews, and worked for free. Then with Comcast Sportsnet, Comcast Sportsnet Northwest, right now they're, they are NBC Sportsnet Northwest. They hired me the following year after that. Um, and um, the, the rest was history. That's how I got my shot, man. Was, you know, I had to go out there and work for a year for free. Oh, and another thing, Dan, 
So I had my bachelor's degree when I went out there and I couldn't get a job. I could not find a job. Like I could not find a job. So in the daytime, I work as a security guard. I was a security guard uh, for a high school and a couple of apartment complexes during the day. And then at night, when the Blazers were at home, I would go to um, a couple of the Blazers. So that was 2010. Wow, that's uh, an amazing story for both yourself and your wife about wanting to uh, make the most of, of your lives and your, the most of opportunities that you can create for yourself. And then the, the willingness to bet on yourself and go up to Portland for a, a year and work for free. There's been a number of people that I've talked to on this podcast series that have talked about uh, whether it was during our recorded conversation or off the record of just betting on yourself. You bet on yourself. You've now become, uh, like I said, one of the most respected NBA insiders. Uh, and I had no idea about some of that background. That is, that is phenomenal stuff. And hopefully anybody listening out there, if you're a young high school student, you understand things aren't always going to be presented. You have to go out and, and attack your goals and attack your dreams. And that's exactly what you've done. Uh, that is awesome. Awesome just to hear. I mentioned you're one of the premier NBA insiders. Is there a friendly rivalry between yourself, Adrian Wojnarowski, and some of these other guys? Oh, uh, rivalry. Look, I mean, we, we've all, you know, a lot of us, we, a lot of times we're all chasing the same stories. So obviously you, you want to, um, you know, you want to outdo the opposition. And, um, you know, Woj is number one out there. You know, it's been like that for a while. Um, am I chasing them? No, I'm not chasing them. I think I have I have a lane, and he has a lane. Um, you know, Shams has a lane. Uh, you have to ask Shams how he feels about uh, the competition. But, look, I, I, look at, I look at it like this. I remember when um, then when I was a, a local, when I was a beat writer in Portland, I remember this one GM said, you know, I felt like, oh, let me say it, Dad. So when I was at when I was at Portland, then I felt like I made it. Like that was it. You remember like the the aspirations I had growing up. And so to be doing what I'm doing in Portland, where I'm on TV three times a week, I'm traveling to road and home games. I've never traveled before in my life. Like I felt like I made it. Like that was it. That's all I want to do. So my at that point, my new goal was like, this is what I'm gonna do forever. This is it. And then, Dan, it was one thing, man. Like, I, I knew I was competitive, but it was one thing. This general manager told me uh, when I was in Portland, told me, why would I give you a story to post on, at the time, the website was CSNNW.com. Like, who in the hell goes to CSNNW.com <laughs> for a story? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> You know, said it straight to my, you know, face, to my face like that. And so I'm like, hmm, okay. I, first of all, I feel disrespected. I feel taken back because, you know, I worked hard to be in that spot. And uh, But at the same time, I saw and I recognized the landscape in which national reporters are treated. You know, you go around, you go around the, uh, the country in different leagues, and damn, I'm pretty sure you, you've seen it, you know, in your time. When, when a national, a respected national guy comes in, their treatment is uh, different from the local guys. Like, there are, cer there, there are certain 
areas of the practice facility that local guys can't even walk to. You know what I mean? There's par portions of the practice facility or the arena that local guys just aren't invited to. But when a prominent national guy comes to town, you know, you'll see the GM or the coach just escort them through all these hallways that you would you never see. You know, just a different level of respect. When a national guy comes to town, they're treated just a different level. And I recognized that. And I was like, okay, all right. That's when I started having aspirations to become a national guy. And um, I started reaching out, you know, the same contacts that you would have that I would have and I, the same contacts that I would ask regarding Blazer content, I just started asking about other players from other teams, you know, expanding my reach. And, and so that's what that, – that was the, my mindset in going national. I'm like, oh, you, you don't respect me? I'm not getting – okay, you'll see. I'm going to show you. And so um, to be where I'm at now is still like – I still got other goals, but, I, you know, I'm just being real. That was, one, that was a motivating factor in why I choose to go beyond the local beat. Well, I can only imagine – I know what GM that was. <laughs> I'm not going to put that name out there. <laughs> but by hearing your laugh, I know you know it too, right? Oh, oh there you go, there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but to go from, as you mentioned, kind of a, a, a local or regional to a national, to, to gain that platform and to gain that network, you have to do a really good job of building – players coaches general managers trust regionally before you can start doing it nationally mm -hmm. how did you go about building that trust because that, that is something that is very hard to do from what i've found in the broadcasting industry it is it is i, I think you know it just depends i was very fortunate that portland was the place i decided to go that was nothing but god like because Dan, I couldn't – Portland, the way they were at the time, it was a place to where if you established relationships, PR wouldn't intervene. They wouldn't try to get in your way. Like, you know, back, to, back when it first started, Brandon Roy was there. It was his last year. You know, I had LaMarcus Aldridge for a couple of years. But if you establish a relationship with them, you know, like, when a player does his scrum with the media, does his scrum interview – and then the player goes over and talks to me on the side, right? Some PR teams, you know, how, you know, depending on how they're, uh, how they orchestrate, how they orchestrate and doing their job. Some won't allow that. They were like, nah, he did his interview. Let, let him go. But Portland, you know, if you have a relationship with them and the players over there talking with you, they let you go. And it was just, just the right situation. Then like, if I, if I chose to go to Sacramento, you know, it was just timing. Like, the TV, the, the TV partner of the Blazers just happened the next year to be opening up a beat, a beat position. They didn't have that position before. Like, those circumstances aren't there for me if I choose to go. I can't think of any other place where this happens. Like, Portland was just the right time and situation for me. Um, so, to get to your point, like, I was able to establish relationships and with the players to where – I would see, Dan, I would see, and you probably know reporters like this, I would go into the locker room 
and you would see when I first started covering the Blazers, and you would see the players like quickly retreat to the training room because that's the room where media aren't allowed to go. And I was like, why did they do that? Why did they hurry up? Like, why is it such animosity toward players? And then I would look at some of the media members that do go in. As soon as they go in the locker room, they hurry up and stick a mic in the player's face, ask them a question. Purpose stick, you know what I mean? Like, damn, like, can you come say hello? Like, how are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, damn. And so, then I treat them like they're human beings, man. You know, I go up, like, say, how how you doing? How's the wife? How's the kids? What's the latest? You know what I mean? Just talking, setting up shop. And so it it became a gradual uh, relationship that was building. And you do that way for them, GMs or whatever. You like, you can't. I think media, we're so used to asking, asking, asking for stuff. And and in this day in social media, really that person-to-person relationship and conversation building is lost now. Like, they don't know how to do that anymore. And that is a very fundamental, fundamental aspect of this job that I think goes lost. So to answer your question, man, just relationship building. These are people. You know what I mean? So then, so then when it gets to the point where I do need something, they be like, I got you. I got you. When a player does talk, they give you a great quote that they ain't never gave anybody, a quote that's going to make headlines and be everywhere because they know this relationship is bigger than just you come and asking for something all the time. You know what I'm saying? And so that, that's, that's basically how I do my job. Man. You know, that's so true of coaches that's so true of a lot of players, business executives. You build a network and you build it of trust and helping each other out and wanting the best for each other. And that typically leads to opportunities. So I love how you expressed uh, kind of your path in, in talking about in two players about themselves and their lives, as opposed to just give me the first comment so I can, as you mentioned now, social media or get it out there to do your job. And if you, yeah. I, I love that example. Last two questions before I let you go, since um, I'm sure you've got a lot of different things going. Two uh, questions, man. That's all. That's all you guys. Two, man. Come on, man. I got a couple more, then. I just want to be respectful man. of your time. How, how, how long has it been, man? We ain't talking a minute, man. Come on, man. It's, it's been a while. I know uh, we, we talked on Nigel Williams Goss. When you were in Portland, uh, yeah. you became friends yeah. with Nigel's family. Uh, I got to know Nigel during his time here at UW. Uh, or sorry, after UW at Gonzaga. So let, let's get yep, into Nigel yep. Williams. I know right. you've been a fan of his. You've been friends with his family. He's always been a, a, a big-time role model in every place that he's been. Um, what do you see as his prospects with the Utah Jazz, seeing that he bounced between the G League and the NBA last year? Um, he's a terrific leader. He's a ter- terrific player. What do you think his prospects are? That's a good question, Dan. I don't – I think if not – you know, I would tell Nigel this to, to his face. I think until he develops a consistent outside jump shot, you know, I think that, that was the knock on him even in college. Great leader. Great leader. Great floor general. Um, you know, people always knocked his quickness. Does he have, you know, doesn't have the explosiveness for the position of a point guard position? Because that point guard position, that's the that's the new shoot guard position or the new center, you know, that the, you know, shoot guards used to be in a dominant position back in the day. Center used to be dominant position. So the point guard, like, he, I, I want to see 
him step out, you know, step outside and and bury that three on the on the, with with fierce regularity. Um, until we get to that point, I don't know that we're going to be able to see Nigel in extended minutes because I think that's what's kind of holding him back. I don't know if that hasn't improved. I haven't seen anything, but I just think until he develops a consistent shot, then that's then that's when I think the Utah Jazz or whatever team, that's when I think they'll start putting them on the floor with long stretches and meaningful time doing meaningful games. And so that's really, you know, I think that's really the only thing holding them back. I had to ask that question because I know we, we have a mutual friend in Nigel and his family. And, and I know that a lot of people that are Gonzaga fans listens uh, to my podcast series. Staying on the G League, they mm-hmm. have done a, a very interesting thing over the last couple months. And it's, some people might think it's undermining college basketball. Some people might think it's presenting an earlier opportunity for young athletes who are good enough to play at the professional level. But due to the structure of NBA players union contract with the NBA, they can't play in the NBA yet. Mm-hmm. Where do you think this G League role is going to continue to go over the next couple of years where guys skip college and go straight to the G League? Like Jalen Green, who I believe was from your hometown of Fresno right off the bat. If uh, my hometown. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I, I think it's a game changer. I, I really do. Because, um, well, let me say this. The NCAA is making modifications to their system as it pertains to players being able to be compensated for their likeness. So they're, they're, they're allowed to get some endorsement deals that are approved by the, the institution. Um, but I do think this G League is a game changer because, number one, you're getting paid. And let, let me just dispel this myth, too. These kids are getting paid when they're going to college too, you know. So I, I don't want to say the G League just has that edge because <laughs> college has been doing this and they continue to do so. Um, so let me just say that. Um, but you get paid and you're in the NBA system already, right? And this G League, like with Jalen, he won't play no more than 15 games, even if that. So the risk of being ex- so-called exposed is really not there. Um, and so it, it's really like you go into a situation where you're training with NBA personnel, trainers, and everything, the, the nutrition, you kind of get a leg up over your, your, your college peers. But with that being said, then I do still consider it a game changer, but you can't replicate the college experience. You really cannot, man. That college experience is valuable. And I'm not even talking about the education because I got a different perspective on the education. Look, you can go get you a bachelor's degree. You can get you a master's degree. In most cases, that's not going to translate to what an NBA lottery pick would get in just his first contract. You know what I mean? So, I, you know, you still people say, well, they, there's, that education is valuable. And, you know, what if you get hurt? You know, look, if you got a chance to go number one pick, bounce, leave. Because I, as I just showed you, Dan, I – had a, a college degree, got, graduated with honors. I could not find a job. I could not find a job. So I'm not saying a, a, a college degree isn't worth it. Like, go for it. But Jana can go and pursue that at a later time. So the, but, but what I was saying was that you're in the, you're in, you're in the league, you're around these trainers, and 
you just have a – I think you have a leg up, but that college experience is valuable. There's nothing that can replicate March Madness. Like, that is just – eyeballs are there. The eyeballs aren't going to be there for G League. They're not. The eyeballs are going to be there. So, that just that bond, just having that school spirit, and just experiencing that for even at least a year, if that's what you choose to do, by all means, go ahead and do that. But, you know, if you're talking about – you know, education, or you need to get your education, and that's why you should choose that. I I would disagree. That's interesting. I I, I think there's going to be more guys that have the opportunity to to take that route, but I also think that you have to be very careful because it's going to work for some guys, and unfortunately, I hope it doesn't. But there are a chance that it might backfire for others. So I think it. Each player has to kind of weigh the pros and cons in their setting and their situation. But and that is also that is also not to cut you off, but it's also the G League. Like they don't want to bring any players that they feel are really at risk of not making it. Like the G League's not going to invite the number fifty best player in, in the class. You know what I mean? It's going to be those top five, top ten guys. Those guys who you look at mock drafts and they're. You know, they're lottery picks. You know, they're projected to be lottery pick top 10. So the G League has a responsibility because of their reputation. They don't want to be bringing in kids that are slotted to be late first rounders, early second rounders. You know what I mean? They want to make sure – they want to do what they can to make sure they're bringing in the best, the top talent, and, and, and showcasing when you come here, you know, good things happen. You know what I mean? So they, they have responsibility as well to make sure they're not getting risky players. But it, it, it still is a risk nonetheless. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that in that regard that they're going to be very selective with who they go mm-hmm. to. It, very yeah. similar to, you know, if you're a college basketball coach and you're recruiting a couple players, you're not going to go outside the box too much. Yeah. Uh, unless there's maybe, you know, an indication that they'd strongly consider your school if it's at a lower conference level or if it's a, a high major, um, they don't think they can get you unless the, you've got family that maybe be in – that's from that area. So, yeah, it's going to be very selective, I'm sure. Favorite person that you've had a chance to interview in your time uh, covering the NBA? Oh, man. I'm going to say this. You know, I've interviewed all the, the biggest stars, and, you know, in the league, have relationships with, with them. I need to, I, I'm going to just eliminate those from my answer. Um, and, and this kind of evades your question, but interview with Ice Cube, man. I, I got to interview Ice Cube. He came on my pod last year. And I'm at the point now, Dan, like, stars, NBA stars and stuff, that don't, you know, you interview them? No, no, definitely I want the scoop. But it's like when you're in a certain field, I start to look at Like, when I first got in, oh, I want to interview LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Kobe and all that stuff. But then when you're in it and you're around them all the time, it's like, okay. Now I'm looking at, like, my favorite movie star or my favorite rapper, my favorite – and so – I got to meet – I didn't get to interview him, but Dr. Dre is just like, man, like that is just a God figure in music, Ice Cube, music, acting. 
So Ice Cube came on my pod last year, interviewed him for like 45 minutes, man. And that was, I'm not saying it's the best interview I did, but it was just like, I was a fan, man. I'm, I'm sitting here asking questions to a guy who I've been watching since I was a kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I can't, I, it, 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 that was like the, I was in fanboy mode. Like, really, I, it was just like, dang. And so that's where I've kind of gotten to, man. Like, I, I like, you know, if I have a chance to step outside my NBA box and interview some people who I just, you know, feel like just these revered figures, that's when I really get up, you know. So I don't know if to answer your question, but that, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, I mean, obviously he's a, is a music and entertainment kind of icon. He's become a heck of a businessman uh, with a bunch of different things. But the big three is a unique spin on professional basketball that unfortunately we didn't get to watch this summer due to everything going on. Now, you mentioned when you kind of got the bug for writing and you wanted, you, you went for it. Obviously, mm -hmm. you probably go back and, and you start reading things that you've wrote, written you maybe go back and read articles that others have written. Maybe there's been mm -hmm. a, a book that's really been uh, encouraging or motivating to you. What, what's your favorite book? Or a book that you're reading now? One of those two. Oh, I'm not reading a book now, but The, the Million Dollar Slave by um, Bill Roden. That is probably my number one book. I would please advise, especially in this, this day and time, like I would please highly suggest that you know you go read that book bill Rowan. that's probably the most profound book i've read the last 10 15 years um aside from that then i haven't really read um any new books aside from like you know my friends you know venturing out and writing books about the warriors dynasty or the Cavs dynasty things like that but just as far as profound man that's that bill wrote million dollar slave that's probably the probably the biggest and when you think of the, the title million dollar slave you think that just talks about black players nah that's that's all players all players and uh some may feel like that headline is kind of sensational but that's why i would urge you to read the book and uh really find out what mr Roden is talking about but um i I, just, I read a lot i read a lot dan and um you know here and there just you know still even today you know you pick up you pick up a lot of what people are, um, you know, how they write, how they structure sentences. And, you, you know, you still, still to this day, incorporate on, on your own. And I always say this, Dan, because I didn't mention this. When I first was, got the bug for writing, before I moved to Portland, I reached out to a lot of people. Mark Spears, who's one of my mentors with ESPN Undefeated. I reached out to local uh, people who wrote for the Fresno Bee at the time. And I was asking them, how can I cover the NBA? How can I cover the NBA? All of them said this, Dan. They was like, first you have to cover high school sports for a small newspaper. Dominate that beat for like five years. Then go to college, some big college for a newspaper. Dominate that beat for like five years. Then you get to a professional beat, right? So I had no desire or aspiration to cover high school sports, to cover college. I just had, like, I'm not doing that. I'm not spending time around these kids watching them and cover it. No disrespect for those who do. They, they were passionate for it. They have a very lucrative, some, you know, have very lucrative careers doing so. 
I didn't want to do that. NBA, that's it. So I was blessed and fortunate to come up in a time where you have social media, where you have these blogs to where you can be seen. Like if your work is good, if you have a talent or a skill set, your work can be seen and visible and you can be, get noticed. Just like musicians do or entertainers do with YouTube. You know, before, you know, stand-up comics, now they get their starts on YouTube, on Instagram. That's how they get their starts. Before the comics, before and back in the day, you had to get on stage in front of five people, 10 people, 20 people, and you built your career that way. So there's different avenues. And I was fortunate, just like I said, with Slam Magazine. They had a blog. They had a, they had a news, you know, that my stuff was more so on Slam Online. I didn't get many stories in, the, in their actual magazine that they used to produce every month. So, but that was an avenue that wasn't there. And I don't, I didn't dismiss my brother Mark Spears or other people that I talked to about the way to do it. But that was, you have to remember, that was just the way they had to do it because there were no blogs. There weren't social media at the time. And so I was just fortunate that I came up in this era and I was able to get noticed. That's so true in that each kind of next genre or development of a career or a sector in a career, you're going to have different ways to gain your experience. You're going to have different ways to do your job. And the fact that you had social media and you had a different way to reach your aspirations uh, is different than, than journalists in the past. Uh, and I think that's going to be so true of coaches these days. I think no doubt, for sure. path, uh, that we discussed a, a little bit earlier, I think that's a different path for guys to get to professional basketball. Um, so, Chris, we really appreciate your time. We covered a number of topics. Uh, I learned a lot about kind of your goal-driven aspirations and how you've not only reached them, but you're still climbing. And it's going to be fun to watch you continue uh, to be successful in the world of, of NBA journalism. So for SB Live Sports, this has been the ISO with Dan Dick, our special guest today, Chris Haynes. Thanks again for joining, Chris. Yeah, you take care, my brother. Always love. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.